I'm Mike Dachowski, and we need to fix our roads. I have a plan. Tell the people, Mo, who's with us tonight. Well, we have one of the biggest bosses in Columbia, South Carolina with us tonight. Uh, my good friend, Brian Walker. How you doing, ma'am? Doing great. How about you, Michael? You doing great? Any better? I couldn't stand it, and I'm just saying that because I'm sitting down. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of my dad jokes. Yeah. That was clever. God, yeah, don't encourage me. Ever. It gets worse from here. <laughs> to amaze me. So, what's up, Bree? How you doing? I'm good. It's a, it's a good Sunday, fun day. Oh yeah, for sure. For right sure. For this new week that's upon us. Yeah. Glad it to be spending it with y'all. It comes fast. It comes real fast. Right, it comes at you fast. Monday comes at you faster. Today, by the way, is Sunday, April seventeenth, two thousand sixteen. That is that is correct. So so I just feel like it's always important to tell people that so that like when they listen and like August, they'll be like, Oh, this is old. Right. I mean But it's fresh. We're not doing it live, but our thoughts remain consistent through time, no? <laughs> I'd like to think that mine, my values stay the same, but my thoughts grow as I evolve. We all want to evolve. Yeah, that was strong. <laughs> I like that, Micah. You have those Thanks. moments every now and then. It so on, it was on Fortune Cookie. So before we jump directly into this episode, Micah, what's going on with the campaign? How's that going? Great. Um, for those of you who maybe joining us for the first time, this is. Uh, I guess the second episode after we revealed that I'm running for the South Carolina House of Representatives to uh, represent the people of Casey, West Columbia, Springdale, uh, one of the suburban communities of the Columbia, South Carolina area. And the campaign is going awesome, man. I've knocked on a couple hundred doors so far, introduced myself to people. Um, Let me just say this. Um, If you ever want a guaranteed hit television show, Reality television, campaigning door to door. Okay, guarantee is going to the top. <laughs> well, maybe we need to edit it out from this episode and see if we can figure it out. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. So no, all right. So obviously you're on a campaign trail and you run into some interesting people. Say the least. Um, so I follow you on Facebook because you're kind of a cool guy sometimes and you had some pretty neat stories to put out there would you mind telling the people in podcast world maybe oh i know what you're talking about i know what you're talking about you're talking about uh so i knock on this uh this door um not not far from where i live guy comes to the door and i give him the same uh basic intro uh and he says now mr Kasky, i actually know you How's that? So i said well i i, I apologize it's not coming to me on top of my head uh where do you know me from? I said, well, actually, you uh, convicted me of manufacturing methamphetamine. What? <laughs> yeah, I was like, hey, are you serious? Yeah. So uh, I was like, well, you look like things are getting better. He's like, 
<laughs> yeah, you know, it kind of turned a corner. You know, it's like cool. He's like, I just want you to know that I, I can't vote, but if I could, I'd vote for you. God dang right, I vote for you too. That says a lot. You convict me for manufacturing meth, you would not get my vote. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think I'm with you on that. Bro. Yeah, no, I don't think I could. I don't think I could. In Lexington, you, you you glad you should be glad he didn't come out with some guns blazing like get off my front lawn type thing. Well, he was gracious enough to say he would he would talk to his mom who did live there. He'd moved up to Charlotte anyway. Oh, okay. Wow. Which is where I prefer all convicted mouth people go. <laughs> out, of <laughs> out of state. Out of state. Bye, Felicia. <laughs> Get out. Oh, that's what's up, man. That's what's up. So it's been that's cool. Uh, it's been fun. I've uh, got a couple months to go here. I guess inside of two months now. Um and for the Republican primary, June 14th. June 14th. That means people can still donate up until that point, correct? MikeKukowski.com backslash donate. Hey, a new generation of leadership, baby. Hashtag do it now. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, good, man. I'm glad the campaign is going Thanks, well, man. man. It's always good to catch up. What you been up to? Man, you know, we had a wonderful weekend last weekend. Um, we had our annual spring game at the University of South Carolina. Um, spring game, football game. Football game, yeah. yes. And, um, for y'all know that I, I played football at USC and we had our first alumni flag football game was well, really touch football game. And it was amazing. You were all, or well, not you, but I, I don't know if you were in the play. There there was a, an older gentleman. That's right. Like I saw my sports center. Yes. Yeah, what so, was that about? So Lou Salsman, he's our first all American um, at the university of South Carolina, he played linebacker. Um, on the second play of the game, he scored a five-yard touchdown. Um, who he's 94 years old. I may add. Oh, too. Wow. He's 94 years old, and we handed the ball off. Scored a five-yard. You should have seen him. He was he was uh, lightning quick. He made a couple moves, <laughs> yeah. broke a couple ankles, <laughs> and then when he gets into the end zone, and I mean, obviously it was a, a a play that we put together, and we wanted him to score. But he steps over the goal line and he double hand spikes the ball. <laughs> and it was just an amazing moment. Both teams rushed the field and it was a um, great, great day for uh, the university and alumni. So that was fun. Um, glad it was over. I had to, it was a lot putting it together. Had a yeah. great team, but um, it was uh, the first of hopefully many more to come. So that was great. So I got a little bit off my plate. Right now, and um, I can focus on some other things. So, good. Like tonight's conversation with the uh, beautiful on Walker. Yeah, absolutely. Hey. Absolutely. So, I mean, just a little bit about Bree. Bree, tell, tell the people where you work at. I'm an attorney at Gallivan White and Boyd here in our Columbia office. I've um, been practicing, uh, telling my age now, but... This is my 13th year of practice. No way. Yeah. 13? Did you start at 10? Thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Oh, Thank you very much. I'll pay you later. Well, that's awesome. I mean, Bree, she is, like I said, when we started the show, is a rock star, and she's a boss in Columbia, South Carolina. She works with a lot of our political and community leaders um, from her capacities, and she's very involved in the community as well. Um, she has many recognition, and I, I guess the biggest one would be from the National Bar Association, where she was uh, elected to um, the 40 under 40. Micah, you're not a part of that. Um, 
I'm under by 40. the national. I'm under 40. <laughs> definitely yeah, you, but I've been, I've been you still under, got a, you still yeah. got a chance. You still got a chance. <laughs> yeah, wow. Um, in 2013, 2014, editor edition. So, again, she is a boss, and we're glad to have her here. And um, you know, me and Michael, we go back and forth, and you know, we have a lot of testosterone in the, in the room, and we felt like we needed to break some of that up, get a woman's perspective on some of the current events and the issues that we like to talk about. So. Bree, I couldn't think of no one else better. Um, we'd have had some awesome conversations, and you're always and strong. Good arguments. Yeah, good yeah. Arguments, arguments debates. debates. Um, goes on and on, and it seems like it never stops. So I said, you know what, Bree, come be on our show. And um, here we are. So I'm glad to be here. We're glad you're here, too. We need somebody to make us look good. Make us look good. Good, good. Make us, make us, make us look good. So, Bree, all right, we everyone know how great you are and where you work at, but what type of law do you practice? You know, what what makes you tick? Who who is Breon Walker? Well, I um like I said, I'm with Gallivan White and Boyd here in our Columbia office. We actually have four five we have offices in Greenville, Columbia, Charlotte, Charleston. Um we are a civil defense litigation firm mostly. Okay. Um, which means that civil versus criminal anything that you could be sued for as an individual or an entity come to us and we can defend or represent you or your company um typically so within that i do a little bit of everything i represent everybody from the mo browns to the railroad companies to large corporations being sued for toxic exposure claims to a little bit of everything um and i do some consulting for uh, people and corporations that need help with our local or state um, governmental entities and, and helping them out, help, helping them navigate the tricky uh, Columbia and South Carolina political landscape that we have going on around here. Which Micah is about to get into. Oh, yeah. Drop yeah. that donation. Yeah, Boom. there you go. <laughs> MikeKeski.com backslash donate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag donate now. Hashtag donate now. <laughs> that's exactly right. Well, cool, cool. Well, that's good. That's the work stuff. But who is Breon Walker? Breon Walker. I am a sister. I am a friend. I am a daughter. Um, I am a co-worker. I am a lover of all things fun. Uh, yeah. uh, I try to be an intellectual. Okay. Um, and just uh, that that that's me. I, I mean, you know, you know me. I try to live life, enjoy life. Yeah. I always have fifty million things going on at one time, and that's try to figure out that balance. Let me ask you this, and let's just jump right into it. I I, I picked up there that the first word you used to describe yourself was as a sister, a term which is inherently feminine. Right. Do you find yourself? Is your identity shaped through the lens of being a woman? Um, funny you should ask that. I was just I, I mean, maybe you've had another life and know a different way of looking at it, but so maybe it's a silly question. Um, no, it's not. I actually had this conversation with some of my girlfriends the other day. So I feel like if, if you said, who are you? If I had to describe myself, the first thing I would say is I'm a black female. So the first thing I relate to is my race. I put that before I say female, just because I think my experiences are more shaped by my race than my gender. Obviously, gender is a close second. I mean, that's the next thing I would say. But um, 
I feel like for me, I relate more based on my race and then my gender as opposed to the other way around. So that sister can actually have a double connotation to it. For one sister, as you said, from a female standpoint, but then sister as being a sister. Well, when I, just for clarification, when I said sister, I meant literally I have like, a sister. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't like, I'm I'm a sister. like, I wasn't like putting sister. on my black power <laughs> fist. I'm yeah. like, no, literally, I have a sister. <laughs> but then I guess what I what I take away from that is your perception of the world is from what I'm hearing, shaped first by your experience based on race. Correct. Why do you say that? Um, because I think that that is the, I mean, that's, that's what I think people see when they see me. That's what I identify with, my, with the most. I think that if I am treated differently for any reason, it would be more based on my race than my gender. Um, and so that's shaped my experiences. I mean, I'm a black female um, that grew up in Columbia, South Carolina. Um, I mean, just being black and growing up in South Carolina has its own set of right. um, circumstances that can be extremely challenging. Where'd you, where'd you, where'd you graduate from high school? So I graduated from Irma high school. Okay. Um, and before I went to Irma high school, I went to Heathwood hall. Okay. So the most, most of my life I was the only, or one of you know, two or three people that looks like me. Uh, Editors note, Heathwood Hall is a private high school here in the Columbia area, largely populated by affluent uh, families. It starts. I went to Heathwood since I was in See, I, I'm public school. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, but predominantly white, so. I, I assume. Yeah. You know, but that's interesting, you know, because we done had a few episodes where we done dived into uh, the race issue. And I think you're, you're right from the sense that when people generally make a judgment off you, it's more catered to your race, at least in my experience, too, versus male or female. Now, I think people do have their own whatever perceptions based off your gender, but generally that comes from that race as you see first. And I don't think we ever had a conversation about that. And I think it works both ways. I mean, I think if you see you know, a, a white girl with blonde, pretty hair, and she walks into a um, store where she's shopping that you don't think that she may have some money, you know? Um, so for you to bring up that it's an interesting spin to it. And I'm kind of curious to see what you think, Micah, from your end, like, do you feel or even think about people seeing you as a white slash den male? Uh, I guess I've never really thought about the sequence of the way, the way in which I'm perceived. Um, I guess I'm probably most conscious of, of like, li- my literal size. Like I think that that You're can be. Guy. I'm a yeah. I'm I'm bigger guy, and so I know that it can be. Uh, at a distance, people don't necessarily recognize how like tall I am or how how big I am. <laughs> but then when I get close to people, I, I that's usually the first thing that I I think about because I I recognize that people can be physically intimidated. Um, but I don't. I, I guess that's the height of of the male experiences. I don't think about my gender. I just am. So it, you know it, why? Because you don't have to. I, that's right. I don't. And that goes with being white too. It, I it, mean, being a white male, you don't really have to. You don't have to think about. I that. can tell you, I have been in some of the sketchiest parts of this world. <laughs> I mean, from the the barrios of Panama to the back streets of Cairo, 
and my physical safety, maybe it's, it's, I guess what I'm saying is it's a male thing. I don't really have to worry about it. Right. Um, now, to be fair, I've also put in a lot of work to make sure that I'm in a position to not have to worry about it, you know, from working out, from studying martial arts and things like that. But that is a very different experience than what I think the average person goes through, particularly a woman. No, I, I agree. And um, I mean, you know, I feel pretty safe. I haven't been places, not as sketchy as places you have, but I've been out through the world and it's rare that I feel unsafe in my ability to protect myself. And I think that can come with being a black male as well, because there's a certain perception that black people can fight. Well, I think yeah, there, there, <laughs> were, there <laughs> were perceptions you know, out there. And, yeah, right. So, I mean, you know, in that race, as you see yourself, like, I mean, I feel like you want to throw hands. Well, you better be a trained fighter because it's going to get bad for you. And I don't know that kind of constitute me, my brain being brought up, my race, and then to just me being a male and being physically athletic. Well, so, I, I was just going to say that, you know, a lot of it is if you look like the people who you're around, life is a little bit easier. That's right. You know, like when I'm here in Columbia, um, you know, it's a white majority uh, population. But I've been in places where I was the racial minority. And the feelings that you get when you're in the store and it's like, are they thinking I'm doing something shady? I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm not. And again, my, my experience has been very limited and it's it's so drastically different than what people who live here experience. You know, it's like, look, I'm, I'm vacationing as the minority. This so how just- did you feel, though, when you were the racial minority and you looked around and you were you were one of the only one or one of few? How did that make you feel? Uh, uncomfortable. Yeah. Uncomfortable. I, now, I'll see. I also had a language barrier issue going on. You know, even though I'm, I'm conversant in Spanish, you know, the ability to like, all right, if things get sideways. Am I going to be able to talk my way out of this? Right. Probably not. Right. <laughs> like, uh, but I guess that implies, you know, some ways, I don't know, here, here. So it's just, it's different, but it's uncomfortable. Well, it's uncomfortable well, for sure. Brie, you know, you, you, you brought that, um, you being a black woman, um, first being black and being a woman. And if someone talks bad about you, it's generally coming from that perspective, but being as successful as you are, has that been an advantage for you being a black woman, practicing law here in Columbia, being a partner um, pretty quickly and being in the recognitions that you got? Uh, I don't know if I would use the word advantage. Okay. Um, it set me apart. I mean, and it's always set me apart. Usually it set me apart because I was the only one or one of very few. Um, but... Like Micah just said, it's a, it goes from like it's uncomfortable. You described it as uncomfortable, but when you grow up like that, you get very used to it. So yeah, I'm, it's not uncomfortable for me. It's it's my life. That's that's what I'm used to. But it's funny because when I have my white friends that are when the when the roles are switched mm. and we go somewhere and they're in the minority, they are very cognizant and very aware of it, and they'll they'll say yeah. something about it jokingly, right. not to, but they'll be like, man, so. This is what it feels like to like walk around every day, and I'm like, yeah, a little weird, huh? <laughs> it's a little weird. No, it's like I mean, even in even here in the states where I've been, uh, you know, one of just a handful of white people at 
say, uh, a black barbecue. Just very different than a white person barbecue. Absolutely. For, if, if, for anybody who's joining us who's never been, you're like it, the rule. It's a like it's it. a different it's a different way. <laughs> People are loud, but that doesn't necessarily entitle you to be loud. Right, right. And if you're totally quiet, that's weird too. Yeah, it's a, it's you a gotta whole, be able to stand your ground. Yeah, like, it, it's funny you say that. I was watching this video um, not too long ago, maybe like a month ago, and it was a white couple and their family came to a black barbecue and they was playing dominoes. They was cussing and they was uh, talking about his wife and how she's going to be her that bitch and all this other stuff while they was playing games. And, and initially like they'll cut back and like have their thoughts and going through it. And, and the white guy was like, it's crazy. Like they say very disrespectful things, but they're not being disrespectful. They're actually being respectful to you and your family. So it's all weird, but it's cool, and I understand it. And then <laughs> he started like talking junk back to him, and then they was like, "All right, now you're a part of you know our, our cookout, and you can come back." Type thing. So it is rules, and you really have to understand it. But it's funny that you said exactly what that video said. Let me ask you this: What has your another layer of complexity in in life is the uh, economic status of people in uh, various settings. As a partner in a great law firm, uh, which I, I happen to know a lot of attorneys in that office, and and I know the great work that that happens over there. Um, you're dealing oftentimes with clients who are very affluent. How, if at all, does race or gender and or gender come in come into play there? Um, I've only had, well, I've only had my race be an issue on a couple of occasions over the course of my practice. The biggest issue that I had was not related to my race or gender. It was my age. So the hurdle that yeah. I had to get over early on was people acting like I was a kid. Because you were 12. practicing law. You were a kid. And I, I felt like that was more related to, I mean, because I have people, even now, yeah, I'll, I'll have clients say, how old are you? Or like, how long have you been doing this? Like, are you sure you can handle, you know, cases worth millions of dollars or whatever? They're kind of like, whoa, like, are, are you sure? Have you been practicing long enough to handle this? Right. So I think that that is the first thing that, that I've had to, and it's not as much now because I am a partner now. I've been doing this now for, you know, 13 years. So People, I don't deal with that as much. Sure. That was the biggest thing. Um, if race, if race were an issue, or if it has been an issue, there's only been a couple of times that that was made known to me. Um, and sometimes it wasn't made known to me by the client; it was made known to me by somebody else I worked with, because um, maybe there was a comment made, or maybe a little, you know, something like that. Um, you know, gender, I, the joke that we have in our office is, is very balanced. There was a point in our office where I think we had more female attorneys in our Columbia. I'm just talking about our Columbia office mm-hmm. um, where the female lawyers outnumbered the male lawyers. So within our office, and I think now it's probably, you know, even um, we've always been great about that. And, and if anything, it's probably been more in my favor as a female than against the joke that the female lawyers always make is I have had on more than one, two, three, five occasions where I walk into a deposition with my file and my briefcase and they will ask me at the front door, are you the court reporter? I mean, that's happened hmm. 
more times than I can yeah. And it's not just to me. I mean, we, it's a joke amongst the female lawyers in our office. I've, that was I've heard that oh, yeah. <laughs> a number of times. Yeah. Like, are you, are you the paralegal here? Or? Right. Are you the paralegal? Are you the court reporter? Which, you know, I, I have a file in my hand in my briefcase. And <laughs> Do you know I, how big a st- stenograph yeah, is? Like I've this? walked in the office before. I've walked in a doctor's office before where the court reporter was literally sitting there waiting with all of her stuff. And they didn't say anything to her. But when I walked in... They asked me if I was a court reporter. So to me, then that's that's not gender. To me, that's race because you have a black female and a white female, and you don't say anything to her. But your assumption is I'm the court reporter when I get there. Hmm. It depends on where you are. I, I feel like it depends on which county you're in. Yeah, <laughs> like it could go. It, it, it could go. There there are so many different reasons why someone could view me in a certain manner. And once you're talking about race or sex. Or age, oh. dress. I mean, there's so many different reasons for you know for people to put you in a certain category. Which yeah. is which is all fair points. I mean, so you, if, if race and gender personally haven't kind of affected you, um, what do you think for um, a? Well, I, don't, I hope I didn't. I, I don't, yeah, I'm pretty sure she didn't say I never it. Said it, it hadn't affected her. Like the first thing I said was that is what defines me. So it absolutely has affected me. Me. <laughs> Basically, Mo has not listened to anything I've said in the past 15 minutes. No, I definitely did, but I was reading what our producer put down. And sorry. Uh, anyway. But uh, what observation do, do you have from a current societal standpoint, um, regardless of industry, uh, when it comes to race and gender in America and how we're moving forward or, in some cases, moving backwards, depending on where you want to look at the current um, environment that we have in America right now. Um, what, is, what is your thought from a societal standpoint? Uh, well, you things know, get, are things getting better or worse? I was about to say, there was a time, if you would have asked me this eight years ago, four years ago, where I would have said, I think I had more of an idealistic, things are moving forward. They're definitely better than, things are better for me than they were for my parents. They're better for, you know, definitely better than they were for my grandparents. Um, but I think that over the past seven, eight years, and I, for for me, I'm not. For me, it's been there's been a correlation between President Obama and how race has just been thrown to the forefront of politics. I feel like a lot more, a hell of a lot more than in the past. Let me ask you this: Do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? Are we asking questions that we weren't asking before, or are there new questions that have to be answered? For me, it's a bad thing. Um, it's not to me. It's not for me about the questions that are being asked. I think those questions have already been there. I get this is the answers you're given, and mm-hmm. things are a lot more blatant as far as I'm concerned. Um, there's been such a reaction. So for me, politically, I would say over the past, and I, I, most people that know me, I think would vouch for this. I was probably a lot middle, more middle of the road politically. Um, cause that's how I, that's how I grew up. We were raised to be independent thinkers. We were not raised to associate. When I say we I have a, a younger sister, um, who also practices law here, but our parents raised us to be independent thinkers. You're not, you're not a Democrat because you're black. You're not a Republican because you're white. You need to sit down and listen to everybody and, and decide who you think is a person that's more, most in line with your values and your political beliefs. And, and that's how you vote. Um, and, I feel like it was a lot easier for me to be middle of the road 
and sometimes go right, sometimes go left, um, but stay middle of the road. And I've noticed that I've gone more and more left over the past five, six, seven, eight years as a direct reaction to things that seem to be more and more right and beyond right. I'm talking Tea Party. Um, I mean, this neo sort of far, far right reaction to, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in my opinion, having a black president, whether you agree with him politically or disagree, I think that it's brought out the worst in people um, on both sides. And my reaction to that has been, it's kind of pushed me you know, more to the left because I'm like, well, I can't even, I can't be in line or align with with you if you think that way or if your views are so far right it's pushed me more and more left so it's been a negative effect on you personally more so than it has with the national conversation because i think the national conversation's been i mean donald trump no like like that's that's a negative for me the fact that that donald trump right now is possibly going to be our next president it shows that things are moving backwards and not forwards correct Correct. And I see where you're coming from, but, you know, I've been thinking about this a good bit and I I even wrote an op-ed on this. I think that to really eradicate racism and how people see racism is really to pull back those wounds that has been scapped over and get deep into them. And I think with President Obama actually coming into office for the past eight years. One is an indicator that we're way better off than the perception is from a racism standpoint. Because last time I checked, white people are the majority of Americans. And so black people can't just vote President Obama in. It had to be a whole lot of white folks voting for him. In addition to that, I think that what you're seeing now is those deep wounds that we never as a nation um, have dealt with. You know, what really is, you know, white white privilege um what is the blacks blacks um inability to get up from the ghetto like what is those um situations or um circumstances that have kept them in such a place where they're not building wealth like how can you be over here number numerous years and you have mexican asians that surpass african-americans so quickly so i think those conversations come to the forefront is actually a good thing because now we're getting deeper into what are the root causes of this racism that we're seeing now now does it suck going through it do we see donald trump and his position um and the way we see it from a world perspective it's terrible but at the end of the day i think once we go through this kind of purge as i see it we're going to be better off for it did y'all let me ask? Did y'all go up to the state house when the flag came down? And I like did. the days we we work in the same building, yeah. so you saw it too. But yeah. like the days leading up to that, did y'all go up there? I did not. I was in trial that week, okay. so which is a great that great cop out. Yeah, I was there. It was bad. I mean, it was the it it was great that the flag came down, but you saw things that made it look like we were nineteen fifty. I mean, that's. And we would walk down because um, we, Mo and I both work in the BB&T building right there. And, you know, that was kind of ground zero. I mean, that's where the media is set up. Obviously, that's, you know, the flag is right there. And the days leading up, I mean, you have people driving by with trucks, waving flags, yelling out in words and people fighting. And it was just a level of racism and violence that I'd never seen. 
And, right. and it was in it, and it was in response to people being angry that that a symbol that many people feel is a symbol of hate coming down, and that was their response to it. And I was video, I was taking um, video with my phone and sending it to my friends that live in Atlanta and DC and New York, and they were appalled. Like, where is this going on? And I said, this is going on outside of my office. Like, I literally walked out of my building, and I'm standing here, and I, we're, you know, we're at happy hours sitting here at the table, and we're taking video of people riding by with their flags screaming, right. you know, racial. So to me, that's not. It's not good. That's, that's not good. And that's not an indication of things getting better. Now, the flag coming down is an indication. But why did that come down? Because- Go ahead, Michael. I was just saying, just to sort of push push back a little on the conversation. It's, I think we started with the, the question of, like, are we getting better? And, and you pushed back and said, no. over the last seven, eight years, I don't see that. Um, and we're talking about, you know, with the Confederate battle flag coming down, um, all of a sudden, these elements, and I, I was about to be like these radical elements, but I, I guess I, instead of just asking a question, I'll, I'll, I'll make a statement and ask for your response to it is I see a world in which, you know, riding around with your Confederate battle flag, dropping in bombs is now a fringe element. As opposed to 50 years ago, where that's mainstream and that was perfectly acceptable. Now, if you drop in bombs and wrap yourself in a Confederate battle flag and wave it around the state house all the time, you are cast aside. So I see progress. I don't see success yet, but I see progress. Unless you watch a video from a Trump rally, then that seems to be... That seems to be the norm, and, and, and I'm not. I'm not at all suggesting that that we've just defeated racism. Right. I, I, I'm. I'm certainly not saying that. I just you know, when I look at things that are generational tides, I see things getting positive, and I'm hearing not from you. And I respect that. I don't. I don't expect for us to agree because you know, a, I'm not a sister, and b, I'm not black. <laughs> so, so uh, sorry, that was sister er. Yeah, but, but like, I'm not a woman, I'm not black. You put an A on there. Yeah, yeah, you put an A on there. You put a sister. We'll go back. But, you know, like, but, but I value your perspective because, you know, it, it, it ain't up to me. Which is, yeah. by the way, a sentiment I think more people need to embrace. It's like, eh, it's not all up to you, buddy. Right, right. I get, you, I get what you're saying, though. I mean. Do I have, is there a reason for me to be less optimistic? Um... I mean, we're coming now on the heels. For example, we, before we went, to, we started recording. We talked very briefly about the fact we're now 25 years removed from Anita Hill and Clarence Thomas. Ha, have we made any progress in the last 25 years? Clearly, we've made it over 50 years. We'll agree with that. 50 years, we're better. But in 25 years, have we come far? Uh, you want me to answer that? Or? You can go ahead. Anybody who feels strongly. I mean, I, look, I think we done came. Mo and I disagree on the. Uh, Mo and I are not so far. So far, and and Bri, I get I get what you you're saying that it looks bad. The optics of it look bad, but I'm completely in agreement with Micah in the sense that that is a smaller portion of the population who still feels that way. And then, if you think about it even more deeply, um, just if you have a home infestation, termites, they've been in your house for years. Don't know it. 
until something breaks and come down, then you find out that you have an infestation. And at that point, you can do something about it. For years, you didn't know. Now that you know. I feel like, and I hate to call these people uh, bugs tearing in through your houses, but I think we're shining the light on those last people who still haven't Understood, come to the understanding that your race doesn't put you either better or worse than anyone. And when you see people at these um, Trump rallies or you see the flag coming down, that these people are holding on to this image or this sense of pride that makes them feel better about themselves. And you have people like Micah who looks like them saying, no, bro, no, sis, that's not what it's all about. Here's why. And then once you continue to educate them, make them feel more comfortable, make them feel like they're not being personally attacked and they're not they're not losing the game anymore. Um, I think you will continue to see us progress. So I, I'm more in line with Micah that we don't take leaps and bounds. And these people are on the fringes versus being what the result of America is. I mean, hell, look, look at Trump, you know, his favorability ratings right now is through the floor. I mean, it's not even close. It's like 41% negative. So, I mean, almost two-thirds of America doesn't approve of the guy. So it looks bad from an optic standpoint, but I think most Americans doesn't agree with what he's saying. But yet he's leading. Because you go to a primary. I mean, you can get people. Those same people who are upset are the people who are going to be more motivated to go vote. But he's winning. Yeah, I mean, I, this I, I've never that. I mean, I think it's a fair point. He's that, that, when people say that, and they say that, and I'm like, yeah, that's all well and good, but he is the front runner, and he could very well be the next president. And so, I, I don't really know. Let me let me ask you a slightly different question because I've I've talked before on the, on this program about how how I view Trump as as simply a, a candidate of protest and people want to just say I've had it. <laughs> I don't necessarily agree. I just want somebody who's just angry. That's right. But uh, leaving that aside, because I do think you make it your point um, cogently that he may very well become the president because of this. But when you look at the Democratic side and you see um, a field, I think, at the national level that was all white we're now, you know, Hillary Clinton is going to be the Democratic nominee. I guess cable television wants to pretend like it's still a fight because they need ratings. But Hillary Clinton is going to be the, the Democratic nominee. What is your reaction to that, A, as a black person, and B, as a female? Um, do you feel like you're well represented there? Yes, I do. Uh, I mean, I'm a Hillary supporter. I don't have a problem saying that. I'm a Hillary supporter because I think that she is the most qualified person for the job. It's not because I think that she's the most qualified um, and she and she's a woman. It's the same reason that I mean, I think that President Obama was and is the person most qualified, not because he's black. I think that's awesome. <laughs> that, was that a right. plus? Sure. Um, but, I mean, do I think that in that setting, he's the smartest person in the room and who I'd want my who I'd want to be in that position of power, making a decision on my behalf. Yeah. And that's the case. I don't care what, what race he is. Um, that's how I feel about Hillary. And so I am very, um, you know, I think, uh, but the fact that what I think is amazing is, and I was thinking about this on my drive over here mm-hmm. is that there are kids now that are 18 that, that are going to college 
And we are going to go, hopefully, from um, President Obama to President Clinton. So in their lifetime, they will. They, it's normal to them to have a black president, a female president. Before that, a white male president. Like they, they can see that anybody can be president. That's something that was not a reality for me in my lifetime until I was 27, 28 years old. So they have a. We have very different, and these aren't you know babies. These are kids that are now that are now going to college. Um, and so I think that that's amazing that that you have over you know the, the course of. 10, 15, however many years that it's changed so much to where that's something that Brie, is, is possible. Bree, I, I I agree with you, um, but I do have a question. Do you feel like your desire, and I'm assuming here, to, to have Obama in, pres, in, in the president position, um, you felt more connected from a black perspective than you do to Hillary from Absolutely. a woman perspective. Yeah, which goes back to the, the very first conversation that we had, which is <laughs> I identify first with my race and then with my gender. Okay, so second point to that. Do you, so, like, I mean, I know when President Obama went into office and when he was elected, you know, my blackness screamed through the roof. Like, I was so excited for him to be there. Do you feel that same excitement for women um, will be in the same type of feeling that you got as a black woman seeing a black man going to pres- his presidency as a woman seeing a woman um, going to a presidency, a presidency role. And I'm, I'm not talking about Brie and specifically, but from a woman's perspective, do y'all have that attachment? Because I don't, I don't feel that same, that same feeling that I got from black folk, from women seeing Hillary going into a position of the high office. Uh, so my observation on that has been that as as much as there are women that are you know, pro Hillary, first um, female president, and are singing her praises, you have just as many, if not more, that are the ones that are her number one haters. I mean, I think that that's <laughs> and it's sad. Right. That there's been. I mean, she was. If the polls are showing that she was polling horribly with women. Right. And I've had conversations, um, debates, arguments with some of my closest girlfriends where we were talking about uh, Hillary. Mm-hmm. And Hillary can do or say things that they find to be very offensive or it makes them very upset. And they think that she's manipulative or they call her a liar or they, they use mm-hmm. very negative adjectives to describe her. That if she were a man, I don't think they would be using those same same adjectives. Hmm. And so, you know, it's been interesting to see the reaction to Hil- the reactions to Hillary because she's, I mean, she's polarizing. Right. We all, we all know Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump are two very polarizing um, people. Right. And so I've found it interesting to see how women have reacted to Hillary Clinton um, Negatively as well. I mean, she obviously has has her supporters, and she's uh, in the lead, and, and will hopefully going to be the nominee. But she has a lot of women that are not fans of hers. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You got any thoughts there, Micah? Um, a little bit. Let's, let me ask you a second. You you described Barack Obama as being the most qualified candidate in the 08 cycle. When I think back to that election, particularly on the Democratic side. You had Hillary Clinton, who was a candidate as well. I'm not trying to be like 
difficult here, but no, 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 just no, keep no. the conversation going. Do you think what, what, let me put it this way. What changed in the last eight years to make Hillary qualified enough to be president of the United States? In my opinion, Hillary was qualified enough to be the president of the United States in 08. Um, she was not She's good. She, by the she way. wasn't the. I mean, by the she, way, I'm going to Galvin White and Bush. I'm hiring Breonna Walker. That was, was good. That was good. I mean, she was, but she didn't have the Barack Obama hope change, rah rah, um, charming, charismatic ability that he had at the time to bring people together. I mean, he hit. It was at the right time. Everything aligned in his favor. The climate of the country was ready for that at the time um and and so it worked and it just so happened that at that point it wasn't hillary's time but i don't think i mean i think she's just as intelligent now as she was then um and even more so now because she's had eight years to go on and and get even more experience and to get even more qualified so um i think she was qualified then but even more so now and yet in the wake of uh president obama's election in the last seven or eight years as we talked about earlier things have gotten a little harder do you think we're on course for more hard times or less hard times based on insert candidate here hold on, hold on. winning say, the election? What, what do you mean by things have got harder? I, I think in the context we were, the discussion a second ago was that maybe we'd gone backwards, at least in a race relations perspective. What effect do you think that the election of blank candidate winning will have what what is hillary going to do uh for the state of race gender relations social relations but marie's i'll let you take a shot at that um i don't know that's a good question i mean i'm not as big as hillary supporter as Breon is i think she has her flaws you're clearly a trump guy no Clearly. Clearly. Uh, I can tell you what'll happen if Trump is the president. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Don't, don't get me don't hey, get me wrong. I may not be here. I may, don't, I may be don't get me wrong. If it came down to uh, Hillary and Trump, I'm voting for Hillary three times if possible. Oh, I made this. Never mind. Anyway. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if a president going into office, because right now, one thing we do know is gonna be a white person. So, I mean, where does your anger go at that point? I think the light starts shining back on a Congress who did not act, and that's both the Senate and and the House of Representatives. Um, They haven't done their job in the last eight years. So where can you point your finger at that point? Um, So I think the three fingers coming back at you you is even going to come more to the front front, which they already are, given that their approval rating is somewhere like 17%. So I don't know... The next elected president is really going to move race relations one way or the other. I think corporations is going to probably have more of a bigger impact on that than anything. And the reason I say that, um, and I don't even know if you want to jump into this, but I'm going to go there. I mean, if you look at North Carolina and their recent bill that they passed for the LBGT community um, and um, PayPal deciding to pull their recently announcement a recent announcement that they was going to locate 400 headquarter jobs there um, out because of this bill. I think actions like that is going to have a bigger effect on 
the plight of racism and then you can say equality amongst all genders, race, um, whatever sexual sexual preference you have. Um, so that's kind of my opinion on that. Which are two separate issues. So you're it's, speaking more about the equality. You're not speaking about, because that, like you just said, that had nothing to do with race. That was about gender. Right. Right, right, right. I just think that, but in the same breath, I think that corporations saying that pointing out issues that go into that questionable, what society should go into, they're going to be the ones affected more because let's be honest, the green is the most important race in this country. So if, <laughs> if, if it's affecting your dollars and you taking jobs away from the people who are going to be voting for you and then to money out of their pockets, then the issue is going to quickly come to a resolution. Um, that's why I feel like you're going to see a bigger impact from the people who actually put the money back into the communities and the dollars in their pocket. Okay. I don't, th- th- my mind is kind of going all over the place right now because I think that putting it upon one individual or one politician to single handedly improve race relations is, I mean, that's unrealistic. Um, right. So I, I think the, the climate of the country and where things are, depending on who's in power and what. Um, so, for example, I don't, I didn't, I didn't think President Obama was going to be elected, and then he was going to make everybody sit, stand around and sing "Kumbaya," and it was going to improve everything. <laughs> but what we saw was that there were very negative reactions to this black president. I mean, you have our own congressman yelling "You lie" during a State of the Union speech in a sign of disrespect that's never been shown before, uh, or, or, or not since the you know they've started televising. State of the Union, speech. right, and just people doing things that were so disrespectful and so obviously, in my opinion, tied to having this black president. And even if they completely disagreed with with uh, politician before, no one ever yelled "You lie to Bill Clinton," and we mm-hmm. know he was lying all over, all over the place, <laughs> and, and that didn't happen. Right. But but because you disagree with someone, let, let me ask you this. All right, um, I've and I not like Bill Clinton, but I'm just you know. Let it out there. We know. We know. Just had to go ahead and say that. What What does he mean by it? Is, <laughs> um, let me ask this: how How do How do I go about criticizing President Obama with with the focus remaining on the the substantive issue policy? Right. How do we How do I navigate those waters as standard looking white guy? Um, I think as long as it's what you just said, as long as you stick to the substance and his policy, and if you can articulate clearly, um, I disagree because of X, Y, and Z, then the same way that I would be expected to say I agree because of X, Y, and Z based on. That just seems that just seems to be such a difficult proposition well, in today's political climate. Where it, I, don't, I don't think so. Just, I don't think so. I think I think I think it goes. Oh, in the hyperpartisanship of the world. Listen, listen, listen. Do you not believe me? I will go disagree. deep on anybody talking about like issues and alone. I'm just saying, more broadly speaking, when people are saying I disagree with this person, I see such a uh, reaction of people okay. going, "That's racism." 
and not even sticking around to listen to the second and third sentence. That's, that's, that's ignorant, too. I, mean, I for agree. Someone, for I someone agree. to say that you, because you disagree with Obama, must mean you're being racist is it's, it's ignorant. It's very ignorant, but I think you see that not only with racism. I think you can look at the transgender, the LGBT community. That's when it's controversy. The media is going to sell it, and they're going to try right. to pit people to side each other. Because I mean, how many conversations have we had on a personal? basis yeah. where we talked about President Obama and his policy and what they disagreed. And I think after uh, Governor Haley did her um, State of the Union response, we spoke about it on the show and we said that we thought she did a good job. And she did re- do a good job. And the reason we thought that she did a good job because she stated her position and why she disagreed with President Obama, but she didn't bash him. She said we got a different way of seeing things and how we think this country should be ran and here's why. And I had multiple people in conversations I had with that were black who said that Governor Haley did a great job in her response. So I think if you stick to the issues and you are able to say why you disagree, then it's not going to go to a racism standpoint. And if it does, it goes back to what Breon just said is ignorance or just flat out ignorance. But but the flip side of that, though, is, you know, I should be able to say I agree with President Obama because of X, Y, and Z, and it not be assumed that I'm agreeing with him because he's black. That's I mean, it, it, it goes both ways. And I've had, and the reason I know people, I'm shaking that, my head right now. People are, <laughs> can't, can't see. Yeah, I think it's a, such a great point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but people, you know, I, I, you just agree with him because you're black. Yeah. Like you yeah. must think that it's like, nope, perhaps like this, I, I agree with, you know, his stance. on. I that. also sure. am wrong. I'm just kidding. You're all <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's fine. What, just kidding. I gotta get him in there. I gotta get him in there when I can. You know? yeah, I, I, think, I mean, I think as long as people can have a intellectual conversations as, I mean, maybe it's because what I do for a living as a litigator, my job is to disagree with people all day, every day. I mean, that's right. what I have to do. When I wake up in the morning, I'm arguing with people. <laughs> and hopefully, you know, that, that goes well into the night. But what I've always been able to do is I can we can yell and scream because we disagree over a case. And then the minute we finish talking about that, I can also go to happy hour and we can sit down and have drinks and not talk about that at all. Because you can turn it off. And I think that there's there's something to be said. There's a certain level of of maturity and intelligence that comes with being able to listen to people that have different views than you and you be and express your views and be able to agree to disagree and moving on. You're not going to agree with everything. I was going to say, you know, one of the things I always enjoyed uh, hearing about, and of course, I, I don't know these people, but uh, on the Supreme Court, for example, uh, Justice Scalia and Justice uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, notorious RBG. Yeah. yeah, they're just, you know, people who we see the world differently, but we can have those those conversations about ideas. And, and so long as we keep them about the idea and not the person, that's healthy. That's a good right. thing to do. Absolutely. Which is, you know, why Maurice and I and, and Tyler want the Insanity Podcast to be about, hey, let's let's have conversations about ideas. Mm-hmm. Let's let's talk about things and concepts. Right. And 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 that's what I think we we done. And Bree, you added so many good points and so many. Good- great perspectives of conversation that we didn't have previously on the show and um, just giving us a different spin and, and challenge us on some things. So we thank you for that. Um, but with that being said, you know, we do have a, a woman in our midst. So 
Gonna, gonna, gonna Why are you switch, rubbing your hands together? Switch like, this up. Yeah, you're like making me like feel uncomfortable. Stole, uh, you know, you know. I mean, we got we got questions here that us men want to know too, um, and I think some women want to know. And I think it'd be good just to have a, a conversation about relationships and how they're evolving um, in America today. And then I think maybe we probably close it out after this, just kind of give a little different feel. Um, in America, I think the family dynamic has probably been most challenged and it has in any time in history. People looking at career paths and they, they're, they're trying to build a career before they go into families. I think the average marriage age now is around 28 or something like that. If you go back to the 70s, 80s, it was around 20, 21, 22. Um, so what, what, what do you think about the career-oriented paths from both women and men um, increased focus on the career side versus going to get married earlier and starting a family earlier? Um, is that a good or bad thing, or how do you feel about that? Um, well, I don't think men are affected at all. Um, I don't think men have to choose between their careers and getting married and having kids. Okay. I mean, y'all, y'all never had to. So I don't, it, it's not like I've ever heard a man say, oh, well, I got to decide if I want to get married or if I want to work on the, <laughs> work on my, my law practice. It's not like one has ever, it's not like one interferes with the other. Right. Um, which that's, I mean, you know, that's the, the uh, benefit of being uh, a man. Maybe, I don't know. I mean, because, I mean, you, you look at some, say, for instance, you're running for office. I, I think that the imagery of you having a wife and kids is more pleasing to the American public than you're not. Not saying that you can't do it, but I think if I'm running for governor, if I'm running for, you know, the president of the United States and I'm not married, people are going to pretty much poo-poo me to decide and not consider me as a um, viable candidate. So we agree, agree with that? Well, that's kind of my my point is as a man, you don't ever... I don't know if any man that's had to put that side on the back burner so he could go pursue whatever career or, or political okay. career. Okay, I see what you're saying. If anything, I see what it's only been... It's to encouraged. Promote it. okay. You're expected to do it. Like right, that's... Right. You know, it, it's, it's not a hindrance right. involved in any way. It's That's just not the same for women. I mean, it's not. And um, they have this whole, I mean, there are all these groups now, the lean-in groups that are coming from the lean-in book that we, you know, everybody read about and how you can lean have in it all. Cheryl Sandberg, Sandberg yes. uh, at Facebook? Right. Yes. Okay. So, so what is the lean-in book all about? I, Fantastic I mean, I, I, I haven't read the yeah, book. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> I know that there are all these, I mean, there are groups that are popping up. It's about leaning into your career right. um, and, you know, kind of you can't have it all but you got to lean in so that's all I, I don't really we're gonna have to edit all this out because i don't know anything no about that, i think that's, a, that's that's an app summary of it yeah i mean yeah. that's all i know about but i have not read the book so i can't you know i just know that um there are groups and i can i can speak for um you know my field the law where there are there are groups that have popped up all throughout young lawyers groups where their groups are called lean-in groups and they meet monthly or every other month and um, talk about being a female uh, in this area, being a young female in this area, those that are single versus those that are married and, and work-life balance and the decisions that you have to make when to have kids. Um, what to wear to work? 
Yeah. Right? I mean, what? Yeah. I mean, let's not yeah. pull any punches here. Like, yeah. the world is just fundamentally different for women. Yeah. And, you know, whether you want it to be or not, don't want it to be, the reality is it is. Right. And, you know, that's where I think I spend a lot of my time thinking is, like, it, the world as it is. And how do we um, address that? And I find I, I completely support that that kind of initiative to say, Hey, here's some, let's give you some support to find, help you pursue whatever it is that you decide to pursue. Mm-hmm. That's, that's my perspective on it is if you want to pursue your career, 100% or 80% career, 20% family, 50, 50, whatever, whatever that balance is for you. I encourage that, you know? So that's how, how, how do we do that? So how do we basically address what um, Breon just said in the sense that women, men, we don't have to think about um, marriage hindering us from progressing in our in our professional careers. So how do we close that gap to where Breon or a woman has to make a decision like, okay, if I get married, this may be perceived this way. Um, and if I don't get married, well, then I'll have this track to be able to go on to. Um, is that, a, that is a conscious decision that you had to make personally, or do you think women have to make every day? You know, do yeah. I have a baby now or no, do I wait? Yeah. Women. I mean, this is a constant conversation that I have with, with my girlfriends mm-hmm. and my close knit, um, group of friends and we're spread out it we live in different states but we keep in touch via telephone we have a constant every as their chat we're we have a constant chat going on via text where we we throw out every we debate politics we someone will throw in a this is what i'm dealing with for my husband today this is what happened to me at work today mm-hmm. this is what i mean we and we talk about things just like we're sitting around talking now okay um but my friends that are are married and have kids, they have uh, you know the the pressures and the issues that they have, and trying to balance keeping their husband happy, happy, making sure that they're taking care of their kids, and they don't feel like they're neglecting their kids because they're working all the time. But making sure that their law practices or their their partners are aren't upset because they feel like they're pulling their weight there. It, it's a lot, mm-hmm. and it's a struggle. That I do not hear my my male partners talking about. Right. I mean, a lot of my male partners have wives that stay at home and take care of all of that stuff, and it's not it's not a decision or an issue for them. I, I do want to answer that question because I do think, and and I, you know, I'm a Repu- I, I, I am of the Republican Party, but I have pretty progressive <laughs> views on this sort of thing, and there are a lot of things that you can do to support that. First of all, don't talk about it unless you're doing something to support it. You know, if you're you're talking about it in a negative way, that's not helpful. Mm-hmm. So the reality is, is we want people to reproduce. That's that's the most amazing thing that can ever happen in a society. So um, if you're in a position to support that in your organization or your business, you know, flexible work scheduling, mm-hmm. embrace that. Why aren't you helping that to be? Um, a step in someone's career path instead of sidelining someone for a while. You know, you're gone from the workforce and that's a reality mm-hmm. for a while, but let's m- embrace that idea instead of pretending like it doesn't happen. Yeah. That doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. And so, you know, we should provide the resources for people to do that sort of thing. You know, have kids. Mm-hmm. We should make sure that it's encouraged that we have support groups. I mean, I don't mean support groups in like a negative way, but like, like we we're saying the lean in groups, like, 
Absolutely. How do you embrace this sort of thing in a way that contributes to to the group as a whole? I agree. I agree. Um, and you know, we definitely should make it easier because women in the workplace, for me anyway, you bring a whole completely different perspective because we can be a little bullheaded sometimes and we need to see that opposite side. And I think it's so much value um, in having women in the workplace. But kind of bringing up another question, like, do you feel that women still feel that pressure of if I'm not married by a certain age, then I'm somehow a failure. And if I'm not having kids by a certain age, I'm, I'm some kind of failure. Like, is that is that perception still in place right now? Yes. Now, this is another, as we can tell, but you probably picked up on a theme here. This is another area in which I am in the minority. <laughs> um, I do know people and I, I, you know, have friends that are married and have been married for a while and have two and three kids. I have friends that have recently gotten married. I have friends that are divorced. Um, I have friends that are that are widows that are, you know, widows in their or just, I mean, in their early 30s because something tragic happens. Mm-hmm. So you find people in all different stages of life, but you're around the same right. age. Mm-hmm. And then I have plenty of friends that have never been married and are single. Um, Real life isn't necessarily that storybook. It's not. And it's not, you know, you can try to write down and, and check off boxes and say, when I'm this age, I want to do this. When I'm that age, I want to do that. I personally think that's the worst thing you can ever do. I don't mm-hmm. think you should check off boxes throughout your life. I think sure. you do things when you're ready to do them. Right. And I think everybody's ready to do that at a certain point in time. Um, do I think do I think there's still that pressure for women that women feel to oh, I got to get married? Do I do I think people freak out when they see their friends getting married? Do I think that they freak out when they see their friends having kids? Yes, I've I've been around them. I've had conversations with them. <laughs> I've done all of that. Mm-hmm. But are there people that are like me where that was never like my priority? Mm-hmm. Um, much to you know my mother's chagrin. <laughs> that, that that wasn't and not that I'm anti I mean I, I think that I think you get married when you find the person that you want to marry mm-hmm. not when you think you're supposed to do it by a certain age wait you crazy person you think people should make decisions for themselves yes I mean I know that that's crazy so even, crazy even, even women so even women, crazy. Even women. Crazy. but I get I mean I'm coming from, from you know I'm 36 years old I've never been married I don't have any kids I get that question all the time from complete strangers that think it's okay to be like, why aren't you What's wrong with you, girl? Let me just throw this out there. Let me just throw this out there. It also happens to white guys. I just want people to yeah. know yeah. that sometimes you'll be like, hey, I want you to vote for me. And they'll be like, do you have a family? Oh, yeah. And I'm like, my mom and dad are awesome. Right, exactly. But you know that? Like, I have a family. My brother and sister are amazing. Right, right. My brother-in-law and sister-in-law. Hashtag love you guys, too. Right. Uh, <laughs> but they'll be like, what? And I'm like, sorry, I was busy. <laughs> I was like, working. I had some stuff going on. I mean, yeah. Yeah. just two minutes ago, you were like, oh, my God, you're so qualified. And now you're like, no. where's the wife where's and kids? Wife and, and I'm like, here's my yellow lab. Right. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> That's funny. Exactly. Well, great, man. You know what? I I gotta tell you, this has been awesome. You have shed a lot of great light on a lot of good subjects, and um, I can't tell you how happy that you're here tonight and you came and spent some time with us, crazy thank guys. You. Thank um, you for having me. I enjoyed it. So thank you for coming out, man. Um, I don't, I don't know. I mean, what you got, Micah? I mean, I think it was extremely impressive, huh? 
I mean, it's not even a question. The room immediately smells better. <laughs> I mean, you bring a woman and, and around, and like everyone's less aggressive. It smells better. Yeah, uh, you didn't even you didn't even interrupt tonight, Micah. You I've been working on that. You didn't interrupt one time tonight. I've been working on that. Uh, I know, but I'm just saying. I think it's that's. Gross. It's gross. I think gross. it's the woman's presence. <laughs> I think that's that southern gentleman in us that you know when a woman's speaking, you let him speak, then you finish. I think that's what it was more so than anything. Because that guy didn't grow that much in two weeks. I promise you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my Listen, uh, thanks everybody for tuning in for another episode of the Insanity Podcast. Um, again, we don't have to agree. We just have to care. And uh, thank you so very much to Breon Walker of the Galvin White and Boyd Law Firm. Bree, do you have any parting words for people in podcast world? I mean, it's your time to shine. What's up? It is. Um, I, you know, I just want to thank you again. Thank y'all for doing this. I think it's very important that these conversations that we have at, at lunch and during happy hour and at dinner um, that we have all the time that I know you all have that you're now putting this you now have this platform where other people can listen and be engaged and, and we have thousands of people engaged crazy rabbits don't get intimidated you look good right now yeah. <laughs> so like there are thousands of people listening we got talent agency coming out this and stuff now what keep up the good work i think this is i think what y'all are doing is great and i think that anything that can um allow and encourage uh Conversations, discussions, people to express and exchange different viewpoints is always a good thing. Thank y'all for doing this. Thank you for being here, Brianna. Conversations matter. Conversations matter. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Insanity Podcast. What? 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 We'll check you next time. Talk to you later. Yeah. Bye bye.